Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to Reformed Meditations. I'm Lee, and we're back again with another Theophany. This time we're heading to the book of Judges, in the sixth chapter, specifically looking at verses 11 through 24. This is the story of Gideon and his encounter with the angel of the Lord. Here's a little context to set up the passage we're going to be looking at today. Israel had done it again. They had sinned and were undergoing a a difficult time by the hand of the Lord. Um, Verse 1 says, The sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian for seven years. And this, this was a powerful group of people that hated Israel. And they would basically go on these campaigns that every time crops would spring up in Israel, the Midianites, every time that crops sprung up in Israel, the Midianites would be right there to knock them down. In fact, the the text uh, even describes them like locusts. Verse 5 says, They would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come in like locusts for number, Both they and their camels were innumerable, and they came into the land to devastate it. So no matter what the people of Israel did to try to better their situation, as soon as they were ready to harvest some food or uh, make some sort of improvement, the Midianites would just come in and smash it all. And in verse 8, the Lord sends a prophet, we don't know his name, uh, to Israel and says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, it was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out from the house of slavery. I delivered you into the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all your oppressors and dispossessed them before you and gave you their land. And I said and I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. Which is true. They had not. They had actually taken up the worship of those false gods that the peoples of the land worshipped and mingled the true worship of the true God with the false worship of the false gods. Bad situation. But uh, we're going to see here in this passage that God didn't intend for the people of Israel to continue to suffer in that way. He was providing a way uh, to bring them to repentance once again, and he was going to send them a leader. And we have to remember, all of this is not done by chance. Uh, It's not done against God's will. God purposed this difficult time for Israel. We can't can't say that things happen by happenstance. Uh, Things aren't just caused by random chance. This This was the purpose of God. And looking back on it in the pages of Scripture, we can see God's grace in his provision for his people, even when they have a difficult time seeing it themselves. And we're going to see some of that blindness in Gideon as just one example of what the entire people of Israel were thinking at the time. All right, Judges 6, verses 11 through 24. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. 
The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? And he said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. So Gideon said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come back to you, and bring you my offering, and lay it before you. And he said, I will remain until you return. Then Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. He put the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot and brought them out to him under the oak and presented them. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. When Gideon saw that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord said to him, Peace to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and named it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it is still in Ophrah of the Abizrites. Okay, so a very interesting passage, uh, and like the rest of the uh, like the rest of the theophanies that we've looked at, we have a man at a crisis point. He needs help, and God stands before him in person to take action or to deliver a message some encouragement or challenge and commissioning. And that's exactly what happens here. Now, being a, uh, a good Baptist, I've broken this passage down into uh, several points and alliterated them. So uh, you're welcome ahead of time uh, for this excellent alliteration. So this story, this narrative, this theophany passage begins with desperation and a good sign of that desperation is Gideon secretly working the wheat in a wine press. Now, that's a weird detail and maybe one that's lost on us, but um, winnowing wheat is kind of a conspicuous activity. Um, it would have been done outdoors, and the goal is to separate wheat from chaff, right? We're, uh, we're aware of that saying and what that means you're just you're letting the the unedible part uh, separate from the edible part and the chaff the part that you can't eat kind of blows away in the breeze as you as you winnow it with a fork right you you kind of you toss it in the air and the seed falls to the ground the the part that we eat and the chaff flies away well, this kind of conspicuous activity would be exactly what the Midianites would be looking for. Hey, somebody's 
winnowing some some wheat. We better go take that. Uh, that's our right. <laughs> These people are under us. So they're under our power, and they would come to uh, to take the wheat. Well, uh, there were quite a, a many wine presses in the area. Of course, wine would be a, a huge resource, um, a fine export, and uh, all of that is was tread out by by foot. Uh, it's down in the ground, usually sometimes out in the open, sometimes in a covered space. Perhaps this one was under a roof of some kind, a little more secluded, a little less conspicuous. And of course, this is going to be a lot of extra work because. Part of winnowing the wheat is using the breeze to let the chaff blow away. Well, he's Gideon's having to do all that by hand down in a pit in the ground. Uh, and then I'm going to presume hiding it under uh, some other materials to try to hide this wheat. So this is a very desperate man here trying to get some wheat together to be able to feed the family, uh, to, to survive uh, this oppression that they're under. So he's He's treading out, not not treading out, you tread out wine in a wine press. Uh, the verse says uh, that Gideon, um, in verse 11, he was beating out wheat in the wine press, which is a lot harder than treading grapes. And that's not even easy work, but uh, he's going to a lot of extra effort to try to keep his food safe. There's some desperation and then, and then God comes to stand before him, and it says the angel of the Lord, right, in this text. Uh, other versions will say something similar. Um, number one, it's got the definite article on it, which often, I can't say all the time, is a signal that this is more than just an angel. Uh, it's not, or, or more than the angel Gabriel, who's named when he appears. We tend to say that the angel of the Lord is an appearance of Christ. So this would be a, a Christophany. Now, why am I so emphatic about this? Well, that's because in verse 14, we get the continuation of this conversation. But instead of, as it has said in verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared and said, and then Gideon replies to him in verse 13, and gives him a long quote with some history. Then in verse 14, it says, the Lord looked at him and said, and in the text, when it says the Lord, it's meaning Yahweh, the, the tetragrammaton is used in the, in the Hebrew manuscript. And in the NASB that I'm using here, the Lord at the beginning of verse 14 is in all caps, which is how the NASB signifies the use of the Tetragrammaton, the YHWH, the covenant name of God, Yahweh. So we can say definitively that this was an appearance of Yahweh to Gideon. Uh, and I would go so far as to say that this would be an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. He says, O valiant warrior, back to uh, verse 12. A lot of people have said, you know, there's a significance of a person's name in the Bible. Every name means something, and usually in the Scripture, a person's character can be foretold from the meaning of his or her name. The name Gideon, or Gidon in Hebrew, means hewer or cutter, and 
God, in meeting with him, says, O valiant warrior, that word is gibor, or it can also be uh, translated as brave man, um, man of valor, or as it says here, valiant warrior. So I think it's interesting that he goes from, and this reminds me a little bit of the, the Abram to Abraham name change, where it's a name that sounds similar but has a distinct shift in meaning. So Gideon being a, a hewer, a laborer, you know, a cutter, perhaps one who cuts grain, right? He's already working with grain. He's beating out wheat in a wine press right now. By God's design, he's going from a simple hewer to a, a brave man, a valiant warrior. So maybe instead of, and I'm, I'm being a little creative here, I will gladly admit it, but the the names, the titles, they do make a difference. I mean, it's in here for a reason. He's going from swinging a sickle in the field to swinging a sword for the name of the Lord, okay? Um, th- that's what popped in my mind as I was reading this. Like, this is this is meaningful. He's sending him out from the farmlands into the battlefield. Whether Gideon feels prepared or not, he will be prepared. This is a, a particular assignment for him, for a particular man, for Gideon, for a particular time. And God alone knew the plan that he had for Gideon, Right? Gideon has has plenty of excuses, and we're about to look at those. But God knows the plans. God devised the plan. He created the plan. He not only created Gideon, he put him in his life that he was living at this particular time to be used in this way. So he's a desperate man. He's now met with, with God. Our second point is doubt. Gideon had doubts. He knew his own history um, of his humble estate in his family, right? He had said, um, this is skipping ahead a little bit to verse 15, that, uh, hold, my family's the least in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my father's house. So he was, the, in his mind, the weakest of the weak. So here's this this weak man in his own estimation, and he's recounting redemptive history about the great deliverance of God. So not only did he doubt himself and his stock that he came from, but he even really doubted God because he had been told faithfully the story of the exodus from Egypt, the deliverance from uh, the deliverance from the wilderness, um, the success. In the land of Israel, and now uh, they're dejected and in a in a depressed and needy state. He says in verse thirteen, "If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us?" I'm sure we can probably, if we if we're honest with ourselves, think of times where we may have prayed those same words or considered those same words and been ashamed to have thought that way, but. That's a, a human problem. We tend to doubt God. <laughs> we, it's difficult for us to rid ourselves of our cosmic treason. Uh, we have to, a lot of work has to be done in our hearts to love and trust God 
in all circumstances, whether we're succeeding or whether we're suffering. He says, And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. He's depressed. There's another another D point, right? He's got doubts and he's depressed. He can see the difficulty of his people, of his own family, of his nation, with one nation lording it over them, and he doubts the providence of God. So instead of uh, simply sitting back and saying, I hear you, you know, I, I merely hear you, I feel your pain, right? Uh, God does something about it. God doesn't just sit and listen. Yes, he hears. He does listen to the prayers of his people. But when we cry out to him, I believe, help my unbelief, he helps our unbelief. <laughs> and God does the very same thing here, but God does it in his way and not in the way that Gideon expected. He gives him a, next point is, he gives him a direction, a direction. Uh, quite a detail in, at the beginning of verse 14, the Lord looked at him and said, go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? Uh, what a uh, What a detail to say that that Yahweh, that the Lord, looked at Gideon. Perhaps that might have filled him with some fear at that moment. Of course, he may not have known exactly who he was talking to at that at that time. He may have th- been thinking he was talking to a um, a standard angel, not the angel of the Lord. But the Lord looked at him, and he saw him, and he heard him, and he understood what he was saying. He took it in. He was not blind or deaf to the complaints and the concerns of Gideon. So he says, go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. That's a, um, a very defined direction. He wasn't telling him to you know go home and wait. He wasn't telling him to, uh, to hide out. Uh, he wasn't telling him to uh, wait for a miracle worker to come and give a sign. He said, go. He commissioned him. He directed him, go and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? But he says he says a particular thing here, go in this your strength. And I think this is a fascinating detail. I thought about it for, for a long time. Gideon had been talking about the amazing things that God had done in the history of Israel, right? Namely, the exodus from Egypt and the corresponding miracles that went along with it. And I think in the back of Gideon's mind, he was assuming that those days are done, like that's over. And I think part of what God is telling him here is the knowledge of God's provision and his care for his people, and his miraculous deliverance, knowing that will give him strength, right? Don't forget what God has done. We have to remember that God's heart toward his people never changes, and that God, who has delivered his people in the past, will deliver them again. But we have to remember as well that God mediated that deliverance through the man Moses, 
right? Moses was God's man for, for that time. Moses went up on the mountain. We talked about Moses' own theophany experience at the burning bush and his own commissioning to do this amazing, humanly impossible thing. Well, it's much the same here as well. Gideon has no power to overtake Midian and uh, free Israel from their grip. He only can get that from God. So he has to believe in God. He has to believe that God will again deliver his people, and he'll have to submit to God's direction when it comes to leading the fight for deliverance. Go in this your strength. This is a strength that can only come from God. It can't derive from ourselves. In fact, it has it's it's so characteristically from God that there can be no explanation other than this was delivered by God. It's a level of strength, of confidence, authority, whatever you want to call it, for Gideon that he could never have conjured up on his own. He's going with the arm of the Lord into this battle, commissioned by God and equipped by God. Okay, so this is a, an amazing message. It, it knocks Gideon back. So he says, my Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Again, he, he brings up a doubt, just like Moses doubting his ability to speak, right? He says that he's slow of speech. The Lord says to him, surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. Now, of course, we know if we're aware of the story, so this is an unspoilable story, I would hope. He doesn't defeat Midian single-handedly. But the force that God puts together to march behind Gideon is so unified, unified in God's power, it's as if it's one man taking down one singular enemy. God unified the force in in several different ways, uh, providentially. But the most important detail is not the size of the army. We will see it's actually very few. Uh, As you read the story, we're not going to read it, the whole thing here. But the important fact, God says, I will be with you. And you shall defeat Midian as one man. There's no way that Gideon and his men could defeat Midian so soundly on their own. It's only because God was with them. So he uh, he shows some devotion. That's our next point. Devotion. Gideon says, If now I've found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come back to you and bring out my offering. So I think Gideon's aware that he's standing before God himself right now. And so he he's trained in the worship of Israel, right? He's comfortable with the modes of worship that were commanded in the Old Covenant. So he is going to bring an offering. He's going to bring a sacrifice. He brings meat and he brings unleavened bread, an important detail that it's unleavened. There's no yeast. It's not going to rise. It's flat bread, right? Passover bread would be a famous instance of unleavened bread. And he even brings uh, broth with it too. Because remember, um, the whole sacrifice belongs to God. And sacrifices were burned with the fat parts, uh, with 
um, the it's the choicest of of sacrificial animals. The fat belongs to the Lord. The richest parts. He's bringing him everything. He's bringing him the meat. He's bringing him bread. He's bringing him even the drippings that come from the meat, the the broth. None of it's going to waste. It's all going in devotion to the Lord. So he says, wait until I return. He goes in. He prepares the goat, prepares the bread. He gets it in a basket, puts the broth in a pot, brings them out under the oak. Uh, And remember, Abraham also met God under an oak. So they're in the shade of the tree, and he presents the uh, the offering. And the angel of God, it's so fascinating, he doesn't eat it. You know, the priests would be eating the sacrifice um, almost on behalf of God, right? They're offering this delicious meat. It's the, the aroma is pleasing as it's being barbecued in the tabernacle, basically. The blood is being splattered everywhere. Uh, we would, I would think, our natural inclination would be that that this angel would sit down and and eat this sacrifice. But no, he does something even more spectacular. He takes out his staff, touches the meat and the bread, and fire springs up from the rock and consumes the meat and the unleavened bread. Uh, a miracle happens before Gideon's eyes, right? Because I think he's expecting him to have a bite of it to eat that the sacrifice may be acceptable. Uh, but it's like when uh, it's like when Elijah is on the mountain with the, the prophets of Baal, and they, they can't get Baal to light up the, the fire because Baal isn't real. And then instead, Elijah, who has waterlogged his entire uh, cord of wood there on the mountain, uh, calls on God to light the sacrifice, and he he sends fire from heaven, burns it, and the fire even licks up all the water that's in the trench around the altar. So uh, th- that kind of springs to mind. Like it's just a supernatural uh, consuming of the sacrifice, and then he vanishes. Then the angel of the Lord vanishes from Gideon's sight. So this whirlwind of a meeting with God face-to-face and living is, is concluded. So Gideon, it finally fully washes over him that he has been with God and says, Alas, O Lord God, for now I've seen the angel of the Lord face-to-face. And then we go from, this is my final point, and it's a, it's a twofer, we're going from desperation, right? He's a sinful man. He has just seen God face to face, right? We all know that if you see the Lord, you will die, right? So maybe in the back of his mind, he's thinking, okay, this is it. This is it. Better say my final prayers before I get wiped off the face of the earth. He goes from desperation to dedication because he gets, he's, it's so merciful. He has not only seen God face to face, given him a sacrifice that is acceptable, been given a, a commissioning. Uh, he's been directed to free Israel from the hand of Midian. He's desperate now. He's thinking, oh boy, this is over for me. I've seen God. It's done. You know, he'll have to find somebody else. Now God tells him, Peace to you, do not fear, you shall not die. 
you shall not die. Go now and free the people of Israel from the hand of Midian. Right? It could not be any clearer. I have sent you. He's already been, been told by God. God has sent him. Go free Israel from the hand of Midian. Go in peace. You shall not die now. You have a purpose to fulfill. You have a calling to fulfill. You have this direction from God, and you cannot avoid it. <laughs> you know, there's no fish for him to be swallowed up by to spit out in front of an army of Midianites, right? He's, he's been told by God. He's been commissioned. He's been equipped. Go in peace. And so I say dedication because in the last verse of our passage, verse 24, Gideon does what worshipers do. He dedicates. He, so in the Old Testament tradition, he builds an altar at a place where he has met with God. And he says, because God told him, go in peace, he builds an altar and names it, the Lord is peace. And to this day, it's still in Ophrah of the Abizrites. Nothing can change the fact that God met with Gideon there and gave him the instruction to free Israel from the hand of the Midianites. So even if we were to travel out there and couldn't find the stack of stones that consisted that the altar consisted of, we can't change the fact that it happened there, that this event happened in history before the face of Gideon, that God appeared and gave him the direction, told him he was equipped, challenged him to go, and told him to go in peace. And there would be peace in Israel. Um, Midian would be defeated. The people would prosper once again. They would be called back to obedience to God. And then, of course, we know they would sin again at another time and another time and at a different time other than that as well and be thrown into exile several different times in throughout redemptive history or have consequences applied to them at home or abroad. Um, but God has always been faithful to draw his people back to himself when they've strayed. You know, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. Like that that's that's true of Old Testament Israel. That's true of the church. Um, we're sinful, we're fallen people, we're born hating God, born desperate to go our own way and to not follow God, and God in his mercy has appointed a way <laughs> for people to be saved, for people to love God rather than hate him. In the Old Testament, we have many stories of Gideon, people like Gideon or Moses or Elijah different prophets or teachers or judges, but now we have the substance that those shadows were pointing toward. You know, if, uh, if Gideon is a valiant warrior, then we have Christ, who is the commander of the army, so to speak, right? He's the man with the sword coming from his mouth, right? He doesn't just swing a sword. He is, he, he is a sword. You know, we have the sword of the Spirit. We have the Word of God. That is the, the message of salvation, which is the power of God unto salvation. You know, we can have peace not because we have another Gideon who's been called to come through. We have the God-man. We have the second person of the Trinity in human flesh 
Christ the Lord, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, died the death we should have died, so that we could not only be forgiven of our sins, but his righteousness be given to us. That's the way we have peace. He waged that war against sin and won, and he won on our behalf. He had no sin. He had no sin to be forgiven of. He did that work so that our sins could be forgiven, so that rather than dying for our sins to be paid for, that the justice of God be satisfied against sin. Instead, our sins were placed on him. He was a warrior for us. He is our warrior, and he's our champion, our victor against sin. So we who were under the dominating force of sin in each of our hearts, which is a, an, a, which is a slavery that puts Midian to shame, Christ defeated that enemy for us. So Gideon, we can say, would be a type of Christ who was sent to deliver his people from the hands of a a treacherous and unforgiving enemy to bring peace. That's exactly what Christ has done. He defeated sin on the cross. Our sins died with him. And he was resurrected so that we too would be resurrected to eternal life, but not a life of eternal punishment, but a life of eternal joy in the presence of God our Savior. I hope we can see the the gospel connection here because it's all of God's grace, right? The deliverance of God's people is not something that they earn, not something they can accomplish on their own. We are weak, not only weak, we are dead, spiritually dead, as Ephesians 2 says, And we need a champion. We need not only someone to fight for us, but to bring us to life, to be righteousness for us, to give us his righteousness, his perfect righteousness, and him take our sins away. That is only accomplished through Jesus Christ. All right, well, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this latest in our Theophany series. And um, drop me a line. Send me a tweet. Uh, you can follow on Twitter at uh, Reformed Meditations. Uh, the DMs are open as well. And uh, I love me the Twitter. I love the Twitter so much. Uh, you can also email me at reformedmeditations at gmail.com. And then, of course, go on the podcatcher of your choice and subscribe to Reformed Meditations. Also, in the show notes, you should check out the Bar Network because the show is a proud. Bar Network Partner Podcast, and there are so many good shows on the network, and they seem to be increasing in number uh, almost by the day. So I highly recommend the excellent and wonderful podcasters that are on the network. Not a single one of their shows should be missed, uh, and there's so many of them, I can't list them here. So you just you just got to go check them out. I hope all this has been helpful for you. Uh, I hope that um, you have only heard uh, the glories of Christ, nothing about anyone else, because there's no one else worth talking about but Jesus Christ. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.